ticker shock at the pumps and the grocery stores, the number one issue for Canadians, according to Epsis Research, with 8 in 10 worried a recession is on our financial horizon. Anyone who's had to fill up or pick up staples at the store has seen their buying power reduced. The latest inflation numbers peg the cost of living at 7% for August. That's down marginally from the previous month. Now, the Bank of Canada has been aggressive in hitting the brakes on an overheated economy, hiking the prime rate in dramatic fashion, which has seen a somewhat cooling of our scorching housing market. Economists do expect inflation to remain above 6% through the end of this year. Fuel prices and shelter have seen a bit of a dip, but grocery prices, they remain at their highest level since the empire strikes back at the big screen in 1981. Our unpublished vote question asks, do you feel the Canadian economy is on track for a recession? Yes, no, or unsure. You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.vote. Coming up on the Unpublished Cafe, we'll chat with Ian Lee at the Spratt School of Business at Carleton University, as well as Moshe Lander of Concordia University. But first, I'm pleased to be joined by Mustafa Askari. He's Chief Economist at the Institute of Fiscal Studies and Democracy at the University of Ottawa. And Mustafa, a lot's been made of the Bank of Canada's efforts to curb inflation through hiking interest rates. Will that be enough? Well, it will be enough in the sense that over time, this is obviously going to uh, impact consumers' behavior. They have to pull back on some of their spending, given the rise in interest rates that's going to hit those who have credit card uh, loans, those who have mortgages, and obviously they have to pay much higher rates so somehow their budgets but their their budgets have to be have to be adjusted to that so I mean that's the way it's supposed to work it's not going to work right away it's going to take time for those interest rates to to affect demand and bring inflation down but uh, you know we expect you know, as you said in your introduction inflation is going to stay high for a while until these things gradually change and over time we're going to see the decline in, in inflation rate can the bank of canada raise uh, interest rates too much that it's going to have a, a real detrimental impact on 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 the economy well there is always that risk mm -hmm. the issue always is that how they balance that 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 policy in terms of you know how much they, they raise interest rate how that is going to affect the the economy and that maintaining that balance is a difficult policy issue and uh, sometimes they over uh, overdo it sometimes they underdo it and and you know it's just it's it just uh, it, it's the way it works but they obviously the way that they they operate is they monitor these things on a continuous basis there are a bunch of people very smart people that are doing this kind of work and they try to to bring that balance in there but there is no guarantee you know, the, the housing prices have come down a bit with, with those hikes, but that really hasn't had an impact on what people are paying at the grocery store. No, will it, not. Yeah. Will it eventually or, or it what will. other action? What it other will. actions required? It will. I think you we saw the last month, actually, the data for July showed that retail sales declined significantly. Now, that's an indication. That's a one-month data, of course, if it's not necessarily trend-setting, but but it is an indicator that the consumers are actually changing their behavior. Those who are at the budget, you know, month to month, they have to they have to juggle those things, and it looks like they are spending less on 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 things that they normally buy. And that's that's again an indication that those things gradually would work over time, and 
we'll see those prices going down. But food prices are a function of many different things. I mean, many of them, it's not really under control. We import a lot of food. And if food prices coming in are more expensive, there is nothing really one can do domestically. I mean, it's, it's just those prices are going to stay high. If, you know, if there is a, there are issues with supply in California or in, 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 you know, in other countries that, that provide those food to us, then that those prices will stay up high. I mean, it, 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 is, it is what it is, really. Okay, high prices are high at, at, at the grocery store, but you know, profits are really high at those grocery stores as, as well. Is is there something there that you know can offset the issue? Well, I mean, offset an issue. You mean that if they can bring their margins down to to help consumers? Yes, they can. But again, I mean, we are living in a country where the prices are not determined by the government. The prices are determined by each. You know, company and those producers and importers and wholesalers and retailers. So they do, they maintain and they set those prices based on many different factors. One of them would be their profit, but one of them would be competition in the market. So how they do that, it's, you know, it's just not necessarily something that everybody knows, but it is, it is something that is decided by them. And whether they can bring their margins down, it depends on the competition that they have in the market. And if they do have competition, they bring the margins down. If they don't have competition, there's really no way for them to do that. The oil and gas industry in Canada is thriving right now. Is there an opportunity there for the federal government to pick up more revenue? The, definitely there is. The problem with that is that targeting in one sector mm. at a time where there is a shortage of, of uh, energy worldwide, and we are an exporter of energy, and we definitely don't want to do something that is going to affect other countries significantly, and that is going to have a repercussion for, for the Canadian economy as well. So I'm not sure targeting one industry at this time would be actually a policy that government wants to, wants to uh, follow. Uh, globally, uh, in your perspective, how does Canada look economically compared to other G7 nations? Actually, it's interesting because the most recent uh, projection by the International Monetary Fund, which they do it on a sort of regular basis, put Canada actually at the, the higher growth rates this year and next year relative to other G7 countries. Uh, there, is a, there is a decline in the growth rate relative to a few months ago, but uh, it, Canada had a higher growth rate than the other G7 countries, higher than the US, Germany, UK, and, and even Japan. So, I mean, in that sense, whether that's correct or not, who knows? I mean, these are projections. Projections always, you know, there's uncertainty about them. But, uh, but at least, you know, that's an indication that we are not necessarily doing um, as bad as some, some of these other countries. And part of it could be that we are an exporters of energy and commodities, and those are the ones that are very at high demand right now. So we are doing really well on the, in, in that front. You know, many are concerned Canada will go into a recession. Do you feel that way? And if so, will it be a hard or a soft landing? I think even if there, there's definitely going to be a slowdown in the next few quarters in Canada, there's no doubt about that because we are seeing the U.S., Going down, the Europe is really in a, in, in a tough situation. So those things will affect us, no doubt. Uh, whether it's going to be a recession, probably not. Even if there is, it's going to be a mild one. 
And uh, from, from what I see from the data, I mean, we just got the GDP number for July, which was positive. And that's a good indication. The start of the third quarter is a positive number. So we may see, a, again, a slower growth in the third quarter than we had in the second quarter, but probably not a recession. But again, these things are subject to significant uncertainty. Things are happening outside Canada. The Ukraine war seems to be dragging on and you know, getting actually worse. And those things could affect uh, the Canadian economy significantly. And so, I mean, there is a there, there is that uncertainty always out there. Mustafa, I want to thank you for joining us. Well, thank you very much. It was my pleasure. Mustafa Askari is chief economist at the Institute of Fiscal Studies and Democracy at the University of Ottawa. The federal government's announced additional spending to to help out during this troubling times, such as doubling the GST rebates for six months, the dental benefit for kids under 12, and a hike in the housing benefit for those on the edges. Moshe Lander is a professor of economics at Concordia University, and he joins us now. And Moshe, those efforts will put more money in the pockets of some Canadians, but by putting more money out there, is this just not going to continue to heat up the economy? Exactly right. It's inflationary in nature. Uh, it's going to put more money at a time when if the government really wants to help uh, limit the effects of inflation, they should be spending less. I think the problem is that the political calculation is to say to Canadians, we're, we're going to put our hands in our pockets and do nothing and uh, let you work your way through this is just unattractive, uh, especially when you're being propped up by a party that insists on spending as the way to uh, uh, implement government policy. Canada is in a bit of a strange position, is it not? We've got high inflation, we have low unemployment and plenty of job opportunities. What does that all add up to you? It adds up that at some point we're going to see wage inflation. Right now, we've been able to escape the worst possible outcome, which is inflation in prices spills over into inflation in wages. And if wages start going up, and that means business costs start going up, which means another round of inflation where they're going to have to pass on some of that in the form of higher prices. This makes the Bank of Canada's job very, very difficult. And so we've escaped the worst right now, but the situation is untenable and it's going to have to give one way or another. And where do you see it starting to give? Well, we're already starting to see a little bit of that wage price inflation effect. Uh, but the fact is that the Bank of Canada is increasing interest rates so rapidly that it's very likely to tip the economy into recession. Uh, once that happens, right, recessions are usually associated with job losses, which means the unemployment rate goes up, which means that some of that wage pressure should be alleviated. I don't know that the design of the interest rate increases is with the intent of causing a recession, but that collateral damage in this case might not be the worst thing to happen. That's going to be pretty tough to sell a lot of Canadians, is it not? Yeah, and you're seeing that a lot of the press these days is taking a very negative attitude towards the Bank of Canada, saying that you increase too quickly, you're going to cause a recession, you don't care, and who elected you in the first place, and uh, those types of things then are, are what's causing a little bit of the backlash. The Bank of Canada has traditionally uh, tried to remain aloof by design. They they don't want to turn this into 1980s-style Kremlinology, where every time that they release a statement, people start pouring through to see if there's hidden messages uh, but what they're realizing is that they do need to increase their level of transparency to indicate that, look, they're not trying to cause a recession, and that's an unfortunate side effect. But this is also a once-in-a-generation sort of uh, situation that we find where you have this high inflation, low unemployment, uh, lots of job vacancies at the same time, 
uh, that there seems to be this problem with people finding jobs. Uh, and so it's that perfect storm that uh, the Bank of Canada is having a difficult time managing everything at once. And, okay, we talk about the Bank of Canada and what they can do, and obviously they're not a political instrument. The government, on the other hand, does have the ability to do something. Uh, should they be doing something, uh, curbing spending, increasing taxes? If they want to curb spending, then absolutely they should. Uh, if for no other reason that they ran up $350 billion deficits during the height of COVID, there's nothing wrong with that deficit at that time. The economy was dying. And basically, you pump that economy full of as much spending as you can to keep it from flatlining. That was fine. You have to pull back at some point, and they've tried to. Uh, the problem is that to try now, say, balance the books in this particular environment is just untenable for them to do. So if they at least wanted to say, look, we're going to do as little as possible, we're going to do nothing even, uh, then awesome. Uh, but the other thing that they need to do is be conveying to Canadians that why doing nothing is the optimal approach. In this particular case, a lot of that inflationary pressure is coming from the supply side. It's Russia's war in Ukraine. It's continued climate change and what that's doing to supply chains. It's COVID restrictions in very large parts of the world still uh, that are causing disruptions to long business plans and, and getting goods onto shelves. No amount of government spending is going to fix that. And so if the government said that, look, we understand that this will help you right now with inflation, but all it's going to do is make that problem last longer. Um, Canadians might be more willing to accept it, but uh, I, I don't think that that message is coming across clearly. And, and who's responsible for getting that message out? You we talk about the war in Ukraine, the supply chain issues, uh, the COVID restrictions in places, but you know the Bank of Canada gets a, a lot of the blame, or, or, or just the government, and that's not the full picture, is it? No, I, I mean, if you want Justin Trudeau to get in front of a microphone and try and explain this, I mean, he can. He's a he's a pretty decent speaker. Uh, the problem is that he has a minority government and it's being propped up by the NDP, which insists on spending as the solution to all problems uh, in life. And so you're kind of pinned in that if you say that we're not going to spend, uh, you're being propped up by somebody who says, yeah, you have to. And so if you take a look at, at the programs that they implemented, it is effectively the bare minimum they could have done uh, as opposed to doing nothing. And at least there are things that could maybe create uh, long-lasting benefits, or at least doing minimal short-term harm. Now, we talk about the political suicide for a government not to spend, you know, support those that are hurting, but it seems there's quite a bit of a divide here in Canada between those who can withstand the inflation right now, and, and there are those out there who have to make hard choices day-to-day, -day, living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, and I think that that's the way that we're phrasing the, the debate these days, is that inflation is hitting low-income Canadians the, the hardest. Um, look, it, it's hitting them for sure very, very hard, but I think it's neglecting the fact that, uh, you know, anybody who is reliant on gasoline, uh, rent and uh, groceries is going to get hit hard too. So it, it's not just a function of low versus high income, which is normally the way that we phrase these debates. And so if you look at the way that politicians are trying to, uh, at a provincial level, for example, deal with how can they help their own citizens, they're usually doing it through the lens of, this is meant to help the low income, but I, I think they're missing that you could be a low income Canadian and not necessarily be experiencing the same level of inflation. If, for example, you take public transport everywhere, then you're not going to be seeing the gas effect of inflation. If you're a single person, if you're a couple without children, uh, then the fact you might not be seeing groceries uh, being the same sort of uh, pressure point as somebody who has maybe a higher income, but lots of children. And same thing, if you happen to own your home, 
you might not be seeing the rental impacts because you're not dealing with those higher interest rates in the form of mortgages or in the fact that rent is being raised quickly to try and capitalize on those higher prices. So it, it's a little bit um, too easy to make it a, a low income, high income divide. It's much more lifestyle decisions. You know, we, we talk about the high prices and, and obviously the stock market has, has taken a pounding and it's impacting the retirement for older Canadians. Does this mean that some are going to have to put it off for a while longer? Yeah. And let's not let's not mix this then as being an inflationary issue either, right? The stock market goes up, the stock market goes down. It, it crashed 10 years ago and it crashed about 10 years before that. And about 10 years before that, it seems to come in cycles. And so you know, when you choose when you're going to retire, that's a decision that you start really thinking about probably in your 50s uh, and, and start kind of putting in the, the uh, pieces to get there so that you can get out in your 60s. The problem is that, yeah, just sometimes the stock market turns at the wrong moment. And next thing you know, you're either having to backtrack or the worst case scenario is you just retired and that job is now no longer available. And all of a sudden you find that your pension is now washed away. Uh, inflation can be doing some of that damage too then in that if that pension that you're receiving is being eroded because your purchasing power is being lost, then you could be being doubly hit in this particular circumstance. You know, many Canadians are worried about a recession. Uh, are you? And if so, do you think it'll be a hard or a soft landing? So am I worried about a recession? Uh, I think that we're going to have a recession, uh, okay. but it doesn't worry me. Uh, I, I, I'm actually one of those people who thinks that recessions are not necessarily the worst thing to happen. Uh, you know, the, the, Canadian economy uh, survived COVID and it came out of it rather well. The fact is that there's a lot of businesses that have very sketchy business plans that were kept afloat by government largesse. And so, you know, we're finding that, for example, the food and beverage industry hasn't fully recovered. And maybe that's because COVID made us realize that, you know what, I don't feel like getting dressed to go to a restaurant or I don't like the idea that I have this guilt of adding on 18, 20, 25% tips. Uh, when I can have it delivered to my door, I can sit there in my T-shirt and shorts and watch Netflix and have a nice evening uh, without having to go out. So if those industries are being propped up, what a recession is going to do is lay them bare and say, all right, you're done. Uh, what happens is the labor and the capital in those industries get released out into the economy and somebody's going to come along and pick at that carcass and say, I can put this to better use. That's what allows us to come back stronger. So I, I actually kind of welcome a recession. I feel terrible for the people that lose their jobs. I feel terrible for the businesses that go down. But recessions are necessary just in the same way that we sometimes need to sleep off a, a rough weekend or we need to make sure that we take some extra time to take a step back, but allows us to come back stronger. In terms of whether it's going to be a soft or a hard landing, uh, I imagine it's going to be reasonably soft because we're coming at it from a very, very strong position. So given that unemployment is very low, given that we have seen what COVID had to offer and we showed our resilience. Even if we have a recession, you know what? We can take it on uh, and we'll come back on the other side stronger. Moshe, I want to thank you for joining us. Anytime. Moshe Lander is a professor of economics at Concordia University. A recent Scotiabank report feels there's room for the federal government to get a hold of rising the rising cost of everything. Ian Lee is an associate professor at the Sprott School of Business at Carleton University, and he joins us now. And Ian, a recent Globe and Mail editorial reflects some of your views on the economy. Too much spending is part of the problem. I'm wondering, could the other problem be taxes are too low? Um, it's a good question you've asked. Um, when I looked at the OECD data, uh, which is the you know the gold standard for doing comparative analysis across um, OECD high-income countries, 
the um, we're not at the high end of taxation as percentage of GDP. This is normalized data, meaning comparing percentages, not raw dollars. Uh, but uh, we're not at the lowest by any means either. And um, so the uh, but but the the issue uh, when you raise the question of uh, taxes, um, I mean, let me step back for a moment. With inflation, as the Globe correctly pointed out, it, I mean, putting it in colloquial language, there's too much money chasing too few goods. And um, and there's different ways of dealing with that. One way is an interest rate increase, which I strongly support because I think rates are too low. But it has this similar impact to taxes. That is to say, when you impose a tax increase on the economy, you're taking money out of the economy. When you uh, put through a central bank rate increase, you're taking money out of uh, discretionary money out of the pockets of people. Both cool down the economy. And um, I, so then it comes, it comes down to, I don't know, I'm, it'll be interesting to hear uh, what Mosh thinks, but uh, you know, it, it comes down to almost a philosophical difference. Uh, do you think interest rates are philosophically um, more amenable than taxation? Interest rates tend to go up and down over time in response to economic conditions. Taxes are much more sticky, if I can use a phrase that's normally applied to wages. Uh, taxes are more sticky. Once you put in an HST at a certain level, you don't bring it up and down like you do interest rates. And so taxes once imp uh, imp uh, imposed are, are much more difficult to change. Not impossible, but much more difficult. Whereas the interest rate, I think, is a much more flexible tool as a response to uh, the inflation in the economy today. You know, we've we've talked money quite quite a bit on this show, and and debt and deficit is always a big concern of yours. How much of inflation in Canada right now is a result of the pandemic spending of the last three years? I don't think anyone can quantify it that precisely. I certainly have not argued that they that the uh, pandemic spending caused it. I've never believed that. Uh, but then I lived through the seventies and eighties, um, and it was not caused by the spending of the Trudeau government at the time. It's widely accepted now that, and even then, I think that it was caused by American policy in um, both uh, uh, in not raising taxes or interest rates in their gigantic, enormously expensive Vietnam War and the war on poverty. The two together injected enormous amounts of liquidity in the system. But what we did in Canada was because of the spillover effect, we should have responded because the American economy does have an influence on us. It spills over. We didn't. We continued to run up very significant deficits, and we kept interest rates relatively low when we should have been cooling the economy. That's the analogy I would use in this instance. It's not. I don't believe that this government caused the um, the inflation. It was caused by the uh, by the blowing up or disrupting of the supply chains, which it was caused by the reaction to the pandemic and imposing lockdowns. Having said that, that does not mean that therefore countries are say, well, nothing to do with us. We didn't cause it, so there's nothing we can do. That That's not true. We have a central bank for a reason, and it's to deal with those forces or variables, whether they're outside the economy or inside the economy, they come enter the economy and impact the economy, and then it becomes those are issues inside the Canadian economy that they must respond to. That's why the central bank, whether the inflation is, caused, quote, caused externally or internally, really doesn't matter. Once you have those inflationary forces, the central bank has to act regardless of where it came from or why it developed. So I think that people are getting caught up on saying, well, who caused it? You know, the government didn't cause it, so therefore they don't have to do anything about it. 
and the central bank. That that's not that's not a legitimate conclusion. Yes, the government didn't cause it, but that does not absolve governments from then reacting to the to what they face. And we face a red hot economy, and 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 so we drove interest rates, as I said, I believe too low, and it caused people to borrow like crazy and drive up the price of houses. And the government put so much stimulus into the system. I know people dispute this, but the facts are not disputable. We spent, according to Finance Canada, we put over over three quarters of a trillion of stimulus in because of the pandemic. Well, three hundred billion ended up in bank accounts in Canada. That's on the bank of in the Bank of Canada Monterey policy report. In other words, we could not spend all of the stimulus that was injected in the economy, which is evidence to me that we put into we put out too much stimulus because if we had if it was really truly needed we would have spent all of it you know a recent scotia bank report feels the bank of canada and the private sector are primarily bearing the brunt of the work right now to reduce inflation do you see it that way um well i mean interest rates fall disproportionately on the private sector and on borrowers i mean and both business and consumers governments because they uh, uh, they uh, have the t- rate of taxation, understandably so. They are the, to use the very famous phrase by the German economist Max Weber, they have the uh, legitimate monopoly of coercion. And that was a big fancy phrase for saying, governments have the monopoly right to tax us. <laughs> and, uh, and where the private sector has to merely, has to respond to that. So they they cannot compel me to buy their products. Whereas the government, of course, any government, this isn't unique to Canada, any government sovereign authority can compel me to pay HST or personal income taxes or corporations to pay corporate taxes. So I think that's what they meant by that, that the burden falls on the private sector because spending there is discretionary. You know, we've heard an awful lot of rhetoric regarding inflation right now in, in the House of Commons, you know, whether it's cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, uh, it's Tiff Macklin's problem or his fault. Uh, you know, where, where does fact meet fiction here? Um, as I said already, I do not believe the government caused inflation. Um, you know, I, and I won't get into the debate because there, there is a debate there, I think, whether or not the lockdown was the way to go, whether it was as efficacious as people think it was. I mean, there's people on both sides of that debate, as you know. We're not going to get into that. The lockdown occurred. Mm-hmm. And and so as a consequence, um, governments, that that blew up the supply chain. And it wasn't just Canada. It was countries around the world. Um, and so that's where the inflation started from was the disruption of the supply chain. The where there is legitimate, and no, I do not believe the governor of the Bank of Canada should be fired, just to put that on the record. Um, I uh, where there is legitimate debate and and criticism, I think, is over the response to the pandemic. and as we came out of the pandemic, the response to inflation, and they're interconnected. Um, you know, some say, no, we spent just about the right amount of money. Others say we put too much stimulus into the system, which fanned the fires. I'm in that camp, that second camp. I believe we drove interest rates too low. People can say, well, that's just your opinion. Well, I've looked at the empirical data and I looked at the interest rates all the way back to the origins of the Bank of Canada. And interest rates were never, ever, ever that low, order of 1%, not even during the Great Depression that ran, what, 10 years and was 30% unemployment. And I don't think any fair person would say that the pandemic that lasted two, maybe two and a half years was anything comparable to the Great Depression. First off, we didn't have the social safety net in the Great Depression, meaning there was no public health care, 
in the 30s. There was no old age pensions. There was no Canada pension. There was no social assistance. It was a much, and I know this, I've talked to my late mother who grew up in Saskatchewan in the Great Depression. And she said, none of the social programs we have today existed. So my point being that we drove the rates too low. And I think that that's part, not the only reason why house prices went up. There's also separate problems that we're not building enough houses. But it it was the catalyst because you need to borrow, you need to be able to borrow large amounts of money to buy a house. And so by driving the rates down that low to essentially zero, quarter of 1% is essentially zero, it stimulate, it put too much stimulus and put too many people out saying, look, I can get the money for almost zero. There were actually people saying it would be crazy not to borrow right now because the money is so cheap. Christy Freeland said that at one point. And so that and then the excessive stimulus, it wasn't targeted sufficiently. I'm never say I've never said we should not have helped anybody. I think we we put out too much um, uh, 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 assistance to companies that did not need it and should not have obtained it, and to people that should not have got it because they weren't, as we know, because it's being reported, there were people who are working who are collecting. So there could have been better uh, checks and balances put in place. And this isn't hindsight 2020. I've been arguing very quickly um, on this point, Ed. I've been arguing because I've studied the tax system for a long time. We have an incredible system with CRA. It's all digitized. And um, and we rebate to uh, Can low-income Canadians. We rebate both the GST, properly so, and the carbon tax. How do we do it? Well, we do it through the CRA because we have unbelievably excellent data on every person in Canada because 31 million Canadians, which is essentially every adult Canadian, files a tax return and they tell the CRA where they live, their SIN number, their marital status, whether they own a house or not, and their income. So they could have very easily said, the minister, the cabinet minister, the, the cabinet could have said, the prime minister could have said to the minister responsible for the CRA at the time, look, we want you to send uh, rebate checks uh, called uh, pandemic rebate checks of uh, 2000 a month to everybody who last year had income below $40,000. And they could have targeted very surgically rather than the much more crude, you know, Serbs and all the different programs they came up with that was rife with opportunities for abuse. Whereas if you go through the, the same system that's used for the rebate checks for both uh, HST and carbon tax, it's a very good system. It's been used for years. It's very precise. It's very surgical. And they could have done that. And it would have, I think, saved, uh, we wouldn't have put anywhere near as much excessive, we wouldn't have put as much stimulus into the system. Do you see a route out of out for the Canadian economy to avoid a recession? If not, though, do you see a hard or a soft landing? I I think increasingly it's inevitable we will have a recession, partly because it's we're, we're so uh, joined at the hip to the U.S., we're so influenced, and it looks like there's going to be one there. So I think we will have one, but I'm not... One of the, I know there's some people preaching, you know, doom and gloom and, you know, the end is nigh. I think the, if we do have a recession, which is increasingly likely, it's not going to be anything remotely close to past recessions. And the reason I'm saying that, this isn't me being Pollyanna and saying, oh, you know, it's the best of all possible worlds, like Candide in Moliere's famous play. It's because we are in a very different world from every recession I lived through from the 70s until now. We have a million job shortages. And I think a lot of employers, having just gone through the pandemic, laying off workers, and now they can't get them back. And there's a lot of workers out there, companies out there, excuse me, employers, who are going to say, wait a minute, 
before I go laying people off because the economy has gone into the tank temporarily, maybe maybe I'll keep them on the payroll even though there's not enough to do because if I lay them off, I'll never get them back. So I think that the, the current situation of massive job shortages is going to temper or influence the response of employers across Canada, which will reduce the impact. We can still have a recession, but it will be an unusual recession where GDP can go down, but we may not see unemployment go up dramatically. It'll go up a little bit because small businesses have very little resources and they'll fail. Some will lay off workers. But I think you're going to see larger employers that have more resources keep their employees on the books even as their revenues are declining during the recession, which will mitigate the impact of a recession. Ian, I want to thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Ed. Thank you. Ian Lee is an associate professor at the Sprott School of Business at Carleton University. Our unpublished vote question asks you, do you feel the Canadian economy is on track for a recession? Yes, no, or unsure? You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.vote. I want to thank our guests today, Mustafa Askari, Moshe Lander, and Ian Lee. And I want to thank you for watching the Unpublished Cafe. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.